This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. And uh, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we are kind of leading up to next week, which is our annual opportunity to participate in our uh, building fund uh, giving. So we've been looking at some messages on uh, the theme of our mission together. And then uh, we'll do that next week. We'll do some Christmas things, obviously. Uh, start the first of the year. And then in January, we're going to go through uh, next year in some detail, we're going to go through the Gospel of John. So if you'd like to be reading ahead, uh, even now preparing your heart during the holidays, you could be reading and studying the Gospel of John because we're going to cover that together. Really looking forward to that uh, next year for sure. But today we're going to be looking in Matthew 9. So let me pray and then we'll open up this text. Lord, we thank you for this season as we look to you and we think of your coming and what that has meant, how that has radically reoriented everything about our existence. And as we look to your second coming, Lord, we just, uh, our hearts are filled with anticipation and joy and gratitude this season. I pray today as we look at this scripture that you would speak to us. Spirit of God, I invite you to put your finger directly upon our hearts. You certainly don't need my invitation but we pray and say that we are open to hear from you and we pray that you would shake our hearts and that you would soften our hearts today so that we might see and so that we might feel what you do about people that don't know you. Lord, move in our hearts and give us eager ears to hear and hearts inclined to obey your word today. Fill me with your spirit and fill us all, Lord, with your spirit that we might be hearers and doers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we look at this little section of Matthew that we're going to look at, and it is little, we're only going to look at a paragraph, but before we look at this paragraph, what I'd like to do is tell you what's happened in the context. Here's what's happened in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Chapters 8 and 9, here's what's happened. Jesus is demonstrating his authority. He is ministering, and as he is ministering, he is revealing and demonstrating his rule, his reign, and his power. So here are the things that have been going on. He heals a leper. These aren't in order, but in this section, he heals a leper, and then a little bit later, he heals two blind men. And in doing so, he's demonstrating not only his power over disease, but his power over incurable disease, where there is no way to clear, uh, heal from leprosy or blindness God has power, and he demonstrates it as he brings healing. He raises a little girl from the dead, demonstrating that he has the power over death. He speaks to waves, and by his word, a storm ceases, revealing that he has power over, we could say nature, or probably more accurately, he has power over the creation. So he has power over sickness, he has power over death, he has power over the creation. And then there's a couple of guys that he encounters that are demon-possessed. And he expels these demons from them with a word, demonstrating that he has power over Satan. So in this section, he is going out among the people, 
Uh, he has just taught Matthew 5-7 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Now he is having these various demonstrations, these signs of his power in chapters 8 and 9. And then after all of that that I just described, there is this little paragraph that is tucked in prior to his sending out his disciples to reach people with the gospel. So there are these, these demonstrations of his power, and then there's this little paragraph, verse 35, chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So after all of the power ministry that's been demonstrated, we then get this little paragraph that tells us the motive of Jesus's ministry. The motive of his ministry is compassion. He has been heralding the kingdom. He has been healing. He has been proclaiming the gospel. But his motive is compassion. When he sees the grievous condition of those who need rescue, he is moved with compassion. The motive for ministry is vital. Arguably, the motive for ministry sometimes is more important than the actual activity, or at least as important as the actual activity of ministry, And here we see the Savior's heart. He, he has a compassion for those in need, and he tells his disciples to pray that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. So he, he has a heart for compassion, and then he tells them to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. So really, the, the theme of this section is that Christ's compassionate care for those who are lost should lead us to compassionate prayer for those who are lost. His compassionate care is to lead his people to compassionate prayer. I was going to talk about all of that until 6 o'clock this morning when I was looking at my notes, and I said, you know what, I, I'm going to shift this, and I'm only going to talk about the first idea here, looking at Jesus' compassion for sinners. And then what I'd like to do is next week look at this section about praying for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. So uh, I was going to do something else, but that's what I'm going to do. So this is going to be, these few verses are going to serve as a two-week uh, two message, which you can thank me because that'll get us out of here before two. That would have been a really long message, I think, anyway. So uh, here we go. We're going to be a little bit uh, briefer with it. First of all, Christ's compassionate care for the lost. Notice in this passage that Jesus went to people. Jesus didn't isolate himself from the people but rather he went to them. Verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease. He went throughout all their cities and villages. This verb, he went, indicates a continuous action. It means he was in an ongoing way traveling throughout all their cities. That's descriptive of his practice. His norm was to be out and about in the cities and in the villages. He was in the synagogues, to be sure. It says that he was teaching in their synagogue. And we have, um, we have 
captured in the Gospels, certain things he taught in the synagogue, but he was also proclaiming the gospel, and it's, he did that outside of the synagogue. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, much of his gospel proclamation took place out among the people, away from the synagogue, if you trace his life. And he was not only proclaiming the gospel, that's the good news, he was healing every disease and every affliction. That happened almost exclusively outside of the synagogue, though there are um, uh, recordings of him healing uh, more in a religious service type of a setting. But he's usually out and about. So he is... a a pattern of being among people, a pattern of communicating the gospel to people, a pattern of healing those who were sick and who were in need. And as he's out and about among the people, look what happens, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So when he is among the crowds, it says he sees them. He is among a lot of people. When he saw the crowds, he has compassion on them. Now, when it talks about him seeing the crowds, it doesn't mean that he just made visual contact. Boy, there's a lot of people here today in the crowd, and I'm just, wow, did you notice that? Pretty, pretty good crowd there. He noticed like visually. It, it means something much different than that. It means that he perceived, he discerned something. He, because what he saw brought a reaction. Look what the reaction is. He, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He was perceptive of their condition. He was acutely aware of their condition. And aware of their condition, it motivated a compassion in his heart. He saw something that affected his heart. One translation says this. When he saw the crowds, he was deeply moved. Another translation says, when he saw the crowds, he was filled with pity for them. He had compassion. The the Greek word, the original word here, means it means from the gut or from the innards. So when Jesus saw the crowd, there is a reaction from his gut. Now, we don't talk that way ourselves. We would say, we wouldn't talk about the gut. We would talk about the heart, wouldn't we? If we were to say someone, you know, someone who's sensitive and cared for the poor, for instance, we wouldn't say, you know, that guy, he has a real gut for the poor. We'd say he has a heart for the poor. That's how we would say it. But, but in this day, they would have said the gut as opposed to the heart. Both are metaphorical um, of what his response would. That The gut was the seat of his emotions, So there's this guttural sense, this feeling, this emotion that that stirs Christ when he sees crowds of people. When he encounters people, he is affected. So there's tons of ministry in this chapter, but this is the heart of it. This is the guts of the ministry, we could say. The heart of the ministry is compassion for people. I read this week that one author said, that there are nearly 40 instances in the Gospels where it's recorded that Jesus, you know, encountering people, seeing people, had a response of compassion or some similar word that meant, you know, in essence, compassion. That led one author to say, compassion is the dominant emotion ascribed to Jesus. If you read your Gospels, you will find that the dominant emotion ascribed to Jesus is compassion. He has a heart. He's moved. There is, 
this, in his gut a sense, an effect, an affectation when he sees people. The lostness of people is just not a dry propositional fact to the Savior. It's not a statistic. It's not a chart. It's not, well, this percentage of people are believers in this area and this percentage are not. It's from his heart. People matter to Jesus. Lost people stir the compassion of the Savior. That's why he weeps over Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. That's why he heals people who are afflicted with incurable diseases. Now, when he heals people, he is demonstrating the power of God. Those healings are signs that point to the fact that he is the king, he is the Messiah, he has authority. They do give credence to his preached message. I understand that and I believe that. But these are real people. They're not just objects. They're not object lessons is what I'm trying to say. They're people that Jesus has compassion for. He's releasing demonized people, not only to show that he has power over Satan. This is not only a statement of spiritual warfare that Jesus is king and that Satan is defeated. That's true. But Jesus has a heart that people that are enslaved to the powers of darkness be freed from the powers of darkness. People that, that live their life bound by satanic forces. That with the word of Jesus, those forces are expelled and the demonized are free and no longer under the control of the evil one. Listen, whatever your view of Jesus is, if it's a biblical view, it will have in a primary way this picture of Jesus who is the compassionate Savior. That's why he gives his life. He gives his life to glorify the Father. He gives his life to win a people for the Father who will be a people to bring praise to the Father. He gives his life to rescue a people who will glorify and proclaim the wonders of God, to be sure. He also rescues a people because they need rescue and he loves them. He's a compassionate Savior. If you're here today as a Christian, aren't you glad that Jesus looked into the crowd and he had compassion on you? I mean, aren't you glad? Where would we be if Jesus had not been moved by compassion, if he had not given his life, if he had not chosen, if he had not reached out, if he had not opened our eyes? Jesus has had compassion on us. And if you're here today and you are not a Christian, I just want to communicate to you, there is a God of compassion that reaches out to you. And you say, well, I thought God was like a God of holiness. He is. He's holier than you know. He's more righteous than you can imagine. And all sinners will stand before him and give an account for their life at judgment. And the judgment of God is more uh, frightening than any of us can conceive. That's all true, and that's all in the Bible. But here's what else is in the Bible. That God, that holy judge who will judge sin, became a man in Jesus Christ and came to the earth and lived a perfect life and died as a substitute so that Jesus took the penalty, the judgment that is due us as sinners. God, as a holy God, has wrath towards sin and he poured that wrath out on Jesus who died in our place. Why? Because Jesus is compassionate and so is God the Father. And anyone who would turn to Jesus in faith
will have their sins forgiven so that when they stand before the judgment seat of God, it is not a place where they are condemned and banished to hell, but it is a place where they are welcome to a throne of grace because Jesus paid the price for our sins. That's compassion. So God is holy. If you're not a Christian, please know God is holy and you will face judgment. We all will. But you can turn from your sin and you can believe in Jesus Christ today as the one who died for your sin. You can welcome him into your life. You can bend your, your, your knee before him and submit to his lordship. Give him your life. Believe. Turn to him and have your sins forgiven so that when you stand before God, it will be Jesus who paid for your sins and you're welcomed into an eternal life with him in heaven. He is compassionate. Please know that. Don't believe the caricatures of God that paint him as anything else. He is loving and compassionate. And that's why he is the one who takes the penalty of his own judgment in our place if we believe in him. Why does he have compassion upon them? Well, look, he looks at the crowds and he has compassion because they are harassed and helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to us because you know we might not understand that we don't live in an agricultural society but sheep were animals that required help sheep were and are they haven't changed they haven't progressed (laughs) you got some smart sheep today man Uh, proves that evolution thing because they used to be dumb and now they're brilliant uh no sheep have not progressed sheep remain dumb sheep remain needy sheep remain defenseless animals so Jesus looked and saw the condition of people apart from God, and he said this so that everyone in the crowd would understand, or his disciple he's speaking to. He said, look, when I'm around the crowd and I see the people, they're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. And they are, here's the problem with that, sheep without a shepherd are harassed and they are helpless. Those are the two things he mentions. He sees the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? Well, The New American Standard, if you have that Bible, the New American Standard Bible, it translates it distressed. Sheep without a shepherd are distressed. They are harassed. Sheep require protection. And if they are left alone, if they have no shepherd to care for them, that sheep is vulnerable. That sheep is subject to harassment and danger and distress. So, for instance, an animal of prey can eat a sheep. It doesn't have a shepherd to protect, and a sheep can't defend himself. Um, a sheep can be in danger to something as small as a thorn bush. If, if, the, uh, if the shepherd is not finding good pasture for the sheep and they get into dangerous places, a sheep doesn't know and, and cannot help itself. So they are subject to danger. Um, and Jesus sees them in danger. Now, most of us in the room, I trust, have never seen a sheep wandering into danger. Most of us in the room have never seen a harassed sheep like I'm describing. But here's a picture that I think translates to us today modernly that uses an animal and I think is pretty close to the idea of this text. Have you ever been driving down the road and you see a puppy on the side of the road? No owner, no leash, wandering on the side of the road, untrained, and your heart You just feel something. I mean, you are just feeling that if someone doesn't help that dog, he is going to run into traffic and be killed. 
There's no one to pull him away. There's no one to pick him up. There's no one to warn him. He's obviously not trained. He doesn't know where to do. He's going back and forth. And any minute, you feel this imminent danger. It's like a puppy without an owner. That's a sheep without a shepherd. And what do you want to do? You want to pull over and stop and help when you see it on the side of the road. If it's a cat, you just want to go like that. Okay, it's a, I got hissed the first time. That was spontaneous in the first service. That was, not, that was rehearsed. I did that in the first service. But uh, to which someone at the break said, well, guess what I'm getting you for Christmas? I'm getting you kittens. Do not do that because you know what kind of person I am. Do not do that. I'm not really. I, I love animals. But I'm allergic to cats. And so I really am violently allergic. So that's why I really don't like them. But they're God's creature, and I love God's creatures but you guys laugh because there's a lot of you in the room that thought the same thing. If I had said, there's a kitty on this side, I'm like, well, what's the big deal? I don't feel any compassion. But you felt compassion for that puppy, didn't you? And if it was a kitty, well, you would pull over as well. Or you should. But uh, so, <laughs> sorry to the cat lovers. I don't feel very broken, but I am somewhat sorry. I know I should be sorry. How about that? Even when you're not repentant, sometimes you say, well, I know I should be that way. So you pray for me and maybe I'll love cat. Well, I... God will have to heal my allergies before I love cats. So you pray for that. But you, you get the picture. This puppy is on the side of the road and he is vulnerable. He is in distress. He is harassed. And here's the point Jesus is making about sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd have a mortal vulnerability. They are at risk. And the reason he has compassion for them is because of the greatness of the risk. We must know that people that do not have a shepherd, that is, people that are not connected to Jesus Christ, people that do not have Jesus as their Savior, as the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, people that do not have Jesus as their Savior are in far greater danger than a sheep without a shepherd or a puppy without an owner. Far greater danger, far greater harassment, far greater distress because their vulnerability is not physical and temporal. Their vulnerability is eternal. Someone who does not know Jesus Christ is living their life in danger of dying without a Savior, dying without a shepherd, and facing God to give an account for their life. And then to receive an eternal judgment separated from God because of their rejection of God. And Jesus has compassion on those people. Do we see people under the threat of danger that is far more significant than a helpless animal? If a helpless animal would stir our hearts, how much more a helpless person that is separated from God and those individuals matter to God. I'm not saying they're innocent victims because the Scripture is very clear. We're responsible for our own sins and we're responsible for the judgment that's due us. But even as responsible sinners, the heart of the Savior is compassion. It's feeling from the gut, from the heart for those who do not know God and face a Christless eternity and an eternal judgment. Christ has compassion because they're harassed. Secondly, they are, what does he say, helpless. It means thrown down. It describes this, the state of a sheep that, that they are finally reduced to. If a sheep is alone, without a shepherd, wandering, and, and the sheep cannot find food or water, from what I've read, they finally just fall on their stomach, thrown down, give up, and they die. They die. 
the point is that a sheep who doesn't have a shepherd to provide for them is helpless. They cannot provide for themselves. And so he is saying they, they, they need a Savior. They're unable to do anything about their condition. When he sees people who do not know the Savior, he is moved with compassion because of their sin, they are unable to save themselves. They cannot help themselves. Author Leon Morris said this, and this sums it up really well. Sheep without a shepherd points to people who are in great danger and without the resources to escape from it. People who are in great danger and they don't have the resources to free themselves. And when the Savior sees those people from his heart, from his gut, he is moved. He is not detached. He is not too busy. He is not uncaring. He's engaged in the crowd and his heart wells up with compassion. When he sees the crowds, the Savior's heart is stirred. How about our hearts? I mean, that's where this, this text leads us, we must ask. How about my heart? I mean, when you look at your neighbors, what do you see? When you look at your boss, your coworkers, the folks you lead at work, your clients, what, what, what do you see? When you see family members that don't know the Lord, when you encounter the barista at the coffee shop or the checkout person at the supermarket, what, what, what do you see? What, what do you see? When you, uh, many of you were there last night out at Frisco Square. It was wonderful to be together. Thank you for coming. I know some weren't able to, but many were able to and came. So thank you for doing that. But, when you were out there, did you ever stop? And I had an advantage. I studied this all week and was thinking about it. But did you ever stop and look out at the crowd? I mean, there was thousands of people. And what did you see? Did you see people who are needy, who are distressed, who are eternally vulnerable to pay the price for their sins apart from meeting the shepherd? apart from having their sins forgiven. They're in great danger. And here's the other thing. They have no resources. They can't escape on their own from the judgment that faces them. They are starving spiritually apart from Christ. They need a shepherd to lead them to food and water. They're in danger. That's the reality. That's the reality. Now, I think, speaking for myself, but I think this is true of a lot of us, I think that we do better at having compassion for those who are in physical need. It's easier to have this sense of compassion this from our gut, emotion, awareness, uh, when we see people who are physically in need. So think about categories of suffering people. And it's often much easier to say, I had compassion for them as Jesus did. You know, someone who is homeless. Um, someone who is dying of cancer. That would be a person who would be compassionate. Or someone who is abused in any number of ways. So where there is physical suffering, oftentimes we do sense 
compassion for people? Or how about someone who's vulnerable? Like the example he needs that gives. Without a shepherd, the sheep are vulnerable. Uh, someone who lacks food and water. Often we feel compassion uh, for folks in that kind of situation. Or an orphan. Or someone who is a widow without someone to help them. So a helpless person. When we encounter people who are suffering physically, we often sense compassion, and so did Jesus. In this passage, it said, he went about healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus had compassion for people who are experiencing physical need, and we should too. I pray my heart grows in that area. But having said that, most of us, when we're made aware of a need like that, or some of us live with awareness of those kinds of needs, we're, we're a little bit more uh, alert and a little quicker to see. You see physical suffering, and you're moved with compassion. On the other hand, Jesus goes about proclaiming the gospel. And so the need he sees, the sheep without a shepherd, at its heart is people who need connection with a Savior. Just after this, he's going to talk to his disciples about about having a heart for the harvest and he sends them into the harvest to proclaim the gospel for sure they are to meet physical needs but as they go out it is the proclamation of the gospel it is this shepherds it's the sheep without shepherds those who are vulnerable those who are in distress those who cannot change their circumstances spiritually oftentimes we don't view people like that and have the same effect in our heart. Jesus said when he looked at the crowds, he certainly saw those who were physically suffering. He healed some of them in the chapters before this. But when he saw the crowds, he saw plenty of people who were not physically suffering. He saw plenty of people who were living what we might call a regular life, not in dire physical circumstances. And when he saw those people, he still had compassion because their need was an eternal need. Their need was a gospel need. I'm not, I'm not arguing against the two. It's not one or the other. It's both. My point is, it's much easier to have a compassionate heart in the sight of physical need than it is in the sight of spiritual need because we often don't even see it. I mean, we live in an area where there, we're just not faced with significant physical distress all around us. Now, you could find it. You could drive to a, a, perhaps an area of urban poverty and find homeless people. You could go to the hospital this afternoon and find people that are suffering significantly. So it's there around us, but oftentimes we don't see this, the need of people who are, who are vulnerable and dangerous, in a dangerous predicament in their soul. I mean, you can drive around an area like this and come to this conclusion, wow, it looks like these people are all better off than I am. And instead of feeling compassion for the crowds around us, you feel envy. I wish I had it so good. And that is a blindness that we don't see. That the people around us, their wool may be a little shinier, and their form may be a little healthier, uh, and they might be a little more attractive than we are as sheep. But here's the situation. They don't have a shepherd. And were they to die today, the reality of their despair, the reality of their vulnerability, the reality that they live on a precipice with God's judgment before them, leaning into it, that reality would face them for eternity. 
They are a heartbeat away from the judgment of God. And so when we see them, we must not see people who look better off than us. We must see people who don't know Jesus as sheep without a shepherd. We must see beyond the facade. We must see beyond the external and say, well, they don't have a physical need, so they must be okay. We must see that, no, they're not okay. They're worse than not okay. They're in danger of eternal judgment. And so we want to have the heart of Jesus that when we see the crowd, whether we're looking at healthy or sick, whether we're looking at rich or poor, whether we're looking at those who are having a great life in their mind or despairing of life, in any case, we look at the crowd and we say, they're sheep without a shepherd. If they don't know the Savior, they are in grave danger. May our hearts be moved with Jesus's. We want to be on the same mission that Jesus is on. And that is eyes, well, first of all, that is presence with people who don't know the Lord, a sight of them, and a heart moved because of their condition. How can we experience that? It's just easy to forget, isn't it? How can we experience that? Well, here's where I think it starts. I think it starts with having an awareness of what Christ has done for us. I mean, it starts with me saying, I was a rebel against God. I had my fist in the air. We all did because of our sin. We're defiant. I was defiant to a holy God. And he looked into the crowd and he saw me and he had mercy on me. So his son to give his life, to forgive my sins. Opened my eyes to my need of a Savior. Opened my heart and gave me faith. Stirred me because of his love and his compassion for me. So it starts with an awareness that how in the world do I know the Lord? This is amazing. If I'm amazed by grace, I just find that my, my eyes see everything different when when grace is in view all of life looks different when grace is not in view what i'm aware of is what i think i still need and how i wish people act differently and i have a demanding nature about how the universe should be run in a way that i demand because i rule in my heart but when i'm aware of myself as a sheep without a shepherd. That's my condition. I was under his wrath. I was lost. I was walking in darkness. I was an enemy of God, running from God as fast as I could run from God. I was opposed to God. I was headed for eternal destruction. And he reached out and grabbed me and brought me to himself, saved me and held me in his arms, the shepherd rescuing the wandering sheep. That's your story if you're a Christian, and that's my story. And we must not stray from that. Because when that's alive to us, then we see others in need of that same rescue that Jesus brought to us. We once were lost, but now are found. That is a stimulus to compassion as we seek to look outward. Then we can repent of our own selfishness and begin to see as God begins to see. At the beginning, I said that we are in a series leading up to next week in our offering for our Generations Fund Building Project. I mean, if I'm you, I'm kind of listening to this. I'm wondering, what in the world does this have to do with building? And here's what I think this has to do with a building. This goes to motive. This goes to what is my life motive? Do I 
see and am I aware of the need all around me? Need near and need far. Am I aware of need elsewhere in the world as well? I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week. But am I aware of need around me? And am I aware of need elsewhere? Am I aware of where God has planted me? And do I see the crowds? Do I take time for people? Am I burdened? We could say it that way, not in a bad way, but do I have a weight on my soul for the need of other people like Jesus has as he looks out? Am I looking around and seeing what he says? We'll look at this next week. What he says is the harvest is plentiful, verse 37. Do I see a plentiful harvest all around me? That goes to the need That goes to the heart of our motive. And when that is our motive, wouldn't we want to leverage every single opportunity we have to be in the crowds to see what Jesus sees, to be among the lost sheep, to be laboring in the fields. The fields are people. To be where the people are, to be where the people are coming, to be where we can interact with the folks? Well, of course we would. Of course that would be our heart, but the motive of that is compassion. And so what we have is a privileged opportunity. As we look ahead, as we talk about, as we think about being in Frisco Square, it is a a choice gift to be at the center of the community because it provides a strategic access for what? For people! It gives us a strategic access from people who come from all over the area to gather there for various purposes, to, 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 to trade, to work, to, uh, to live, for entertainment, all that kind of stuff. And also a place that will at one day, not now, but one day will be densely populated as well. So it gives us strategic access to a community within walking distance. That's a privileged thing to steward. It's, it's an amazing thing that that's given to us. I mean, I just don't want to grow familiar with that. that. I talked about that last week, but that is given to us, a parking garage, uh, not really given to us, it's for the whole city, but that's where we'd be, land given to us. What a privilege from God to put us in a position of access, a strategic point. But the goal isn't just to have a building, or we have a building, to have another building, a different building. I mean, the goal is to steward an opportunity for mission and to increase our access to a broader crowd through a gift that God dropped in our lap. That's it. Strategic access to more people because of what God dropped in our lap. It, it lap. It, it's, a, it's a tool. It's, it's not the answer. The answer is right here. The answer is the person of Christ. The motive is what we just read. But it's a tool that helps us with a heart for the lost, with a heart for those who need him, to have access, a gathering spot, a drawing spot to more of them. If you were there last night, um, you just saw what a potential tool that is of access. I mean, if you were at Frisco Square last night and, and a lot of folks were, were gathered there, some of you here today, maybe, I don't know, we met you last night, but uh, a lot of folks were gathered there. And... Uh, I mean, at points, I was, again, reading this, thinking about this, so I was interacting with people and looking at people and being affected by that, for sure, the opportunity of the need of people. But at some point, I just paused as well and said, you know, we're kind of standing in what would be our front yard. Not, not exactly. I mean, that we were standing in the front yard of City Hall, but 
Uh, so we're kind of like the, the back house, you know, little doghouse off to the side behind it, but you're still in the yard. So I just thought, this is like all, this is, we're standing in the front yard of where we would be gathering. And that is a rare, rare privilege. I love this building. I'm thankful uh, for however long God would have us here. But in terms of a strategic access, the front yards are different. Uh, the front yards are just very, very different as a place to reach, to reach out to people. The goal isn't a building. The goal is a heart, and the building is a tool to see other people come to Christ. Listen, we could move to a better location, or I wouldn't say better, but just perhaps I would say strategic. We could move to a more strategic location and move with selfish hearts, fearful hearts, uh, uncaring hearts, distracted hearts, distance hearts. We could move in. We could build the spot in the middle of a field where a lot of folks are, the field metaphorically speaking. Uh, you know, draw our curtains, hold up, hold the, bar the doors and just do our little deal indoors and never connect with anybody. And so that's why it's not a building, it's a heart. We want to be motivated as Christ is motivated. The glory of his Father and the needs of people and connection with people. How can I respond? I'm going to give you three verbs and we're, we'll be out of here. The first verb is pray. Now he says pray for laborers. That's next week's message. But I, I want to pray for our own hearts. Um, I, I want to encourage you to pray for the softening of your heart, for the opening of your eyes so that you really see and perceive the need and not only the need, but the opportunity. I think we perceive the need and compassion as a result. We perceive the opportunity and faith and action is to flow from that. But just pray, God, soften my heart. We are in a time right now that is unique. We're in a unique time because in our culture, people are singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus right now. We have an opportunity right now in this season to say, let's slow down. Take a deep breath and stop. This is... It is, is it not ironic that this is the opportunity of the year, probably a 30-day period of the year, that I think is the ripest opportunity to talk to people about Christ, and it's the busiest time for Christians in the church and individual. So the, the, the best time to interact is the time we don't have time to interact. So take a deep breath and pray and say, Lord, where are opportunities around me? We have opportunities coming up. This is my second verb. I'm already on there. Sorry. Reach. So pray, and secondly, would be reach. Look for opportunities to reach out. We have some opportunities coming up. On the 19th, we're going to have a, a musical a, a musical presentation, but we'll also be presenting the gospel, not only through song, but a brief sermon as well, to communicate the gospel. That's an opportunity for someone to come in and hear the gospel. That's a wonderful opportunity. Christmas Eve is coming up. We're going to meet on Christmas Eve for a one-hour service, 6 to 7 p.m., right here, one service. That's an opportunity. We just don't think. We, oftentimes we don't stop and think, who might come? I mean, a number of years ago, we had some um, neighbors that weren't Christians, and I, I, you know, we talked to them some. We'd been to their house, and I, I remember uh, someone, one of our kids or somebody baked some cookies, and we took them over at Christmas time, and we took an invitation, which we have these invitations in the back that, that, that for Christmas Eve, and we took a Christmas Eve invitation to them. And as far as I knew, they didn't have any spiritual interest. And we got to the Christmas Eve service. I remember standing up, getting ready to preach, and just, I was shocked. I looked out, and there they were. Oh, me of little faith. I mean, <laughs> but all it took was 
well, actually some really good cookies, but all it took was just an invitation. It wasn't the cookies. It just took an invitation. So who around us, which coworker, which neighbor, which family member who isn't, would never come to church might come this Christmas Eve? So that's, that's an opportunity for us to reach out. Um, when we think about even our future and our building, the idea of reaching out, we've kicked around some ideas of what life could be like differently, uh, what kind of opportunities could present itself if we were, if we were based on Frisco Square. Um, we've kicked around some of those, but th- I'm not doing sermons on that, and here's the reason, because that's not really the, the goal. The, my greater goal is that we would have in our DNA, in our heart, in our nature, that we would be a people who are moved by compassion, who are looking and seeing and responding. I believe that if our heart and our culture is outward, the, the whys, if the whys are in place, then the whats are much easier to line out. So that's why we're just not talking about what all the what's would be. There's a place to talk about that, but I want to talk about the why's. Why? Because people matter to God, and strategic access to people are a gift from God, and we want to have deeply embedded in our culture the heart to reach. That's a verb, to reach out. As we've looked and we've, we've thought about what would it be like to be there, we've kind of backed up and said, okay, what does that mean for us now? Would we be ready in terms of a, a location of great hospitality and outreach and uh, perhaps even influence to some degree, at least connection, um, influence for the gospel is what I mean. Uh, w- are we ready? We reverse it back and said, well, I think we've got some growing to do. I think I've got some growing to do. And we back it up and say, we've got some growing to do, not because of a building, but because of the Bible. I, I think the, the, the building has just w- opened our eyes to say, hey, wait, w- well, what's God calling us to? He's calling us to this, and I trust we'll be there, but if that went away for some reason because of God's plan, whatever that would be that we don't see or know about, but if that was the case, this is still here. Compassion for the lost. We want to we have that now. We want to reach now. We're not waiting. We want now to be a people who are reaching. And so we're asking, how do we get here from there? We looked forward and said, okay, if that's it, how, what are we supposed to be like now according to the Scripture? And it's this heart. That's what led me to this text. It's a heart that sees what Jesus sees and is moved as Jesus is moved so that his burdens become our burdens. And so that we're not inviting Jesus to the Grace Church mission, but Grace Church is getting on mission with Jesus and following him in what he's doing. And what he's doing spiritually is what he did physically when he was here. He's seeing people, and he's reaching people. He's loving, he's motivated, and he's calling us to pray and act. The last thing is to give. Pray, reach, give. Next week we have an opportunity to give. Uh, it's not an either or. It's not, well, we could grow up and grow more in our heart and our compassion, or we could move to a, a location that gives us greater access. It's not one or the other. It's both, I think. So we want to be doing both, and we ask the Lord to turn our heart. We ask for generous hearts, and then we give generously, trusting the Lord with his timing for us to be over there. We believe it's our next step together, but we want to be growing as a people along the way. We want to ask God to increase our heart, to expand our heart, to change our heart, to grow us. So we spent, uh, I don't know, I th- it was, it was r- like roughly one billion or two billion weeks on community. I can't remember which number, but we spent a long time on that this fall, just wanting to have our hearts 
touched. And that's why we're going to go through the Gospel of John next year, to have our hearts touched by the person of Jesus and looking at his heart, his mission, who he is, so that we respond rightly to him, so that we build community together, and so that we as a community seek to be a light in the darkness. And this is a tool that it would appear gives us a greater strategic uh, usefulness. And so that's why we're asking that people go to the Lord and give. Just trust the Lord, and I trust that um, he will speak and make clear to you how he'd have you participate. Pray, reach, give. God has been very good to us. He's had compassion on us. Let's ask him to turn our hearts so that we have compassion on others as he has on us. Let's pray. We address you, Lord, as the compassionate Savior because we are a living testimony that you are the compassionate Savior. Thank you for looking into the crowd Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for joining us to your people. And thank you for giving us a mission that our lives don't terminate on ourselves. Our community doesn't terminate on itself. But you've given us a mission to be in the crowds, to be with those around us, to have a heart for those who are far from us as well, that we might never go to, that have a need. We pray that our hearts would be moved by compassion for those who are physically suffering around us, but also for those who aren't physically suffering, but their souls are dead in darkness. Lord, give us a great heart for suffering bodies and dead souls alike. And bring light into the darkness, we pray. God, we pray this prayer that we'll look at next week. We pray that you would send laborers into the harvest. We pray that you would send us. We pray that, first of all, you would change our hearts so that we are sent people with soft, compassionate hearts that from our gut we are affected by the plight of those who do not know the Savior. Oh, God, work in our hearts. Lord, we pray this prayer that just as we've talked at great length about community being a part of who we are, we pray a community with an outward mission would be who we are as well. We pray eyes, we pray for eyes to see and where our eyes are blinded by busyness, hurriedness, selfishness, where our eyes are blinded by our own goals, materialism, consumption, our own pleasure and comfort, Lord, we pray that we would repent of those areas and you would open our eyes to see the need and to see fields ready for harvest. Give us hearts and minds and actions and words to be on your mission, we pray, Lord. Pray for next week. I pray, Lord, that you would give us generous hearts and that you'd provide abundantly as we look to our future. Pray for clear plans on timing and our future and all that but we want to be generous, we want to save up, we want to be ready for that day. And we pray that, God, you would direct us. Lord, we ask for a miracle, because you are the God of miracles, so that we might be able to reach the crowds. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.